Welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help you grow in your walk with the Lord by an in-depth study of the Word of God. So grab your Bible and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with today's message. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter, uh, really it's chapter 8. We're going to do one verse in 7. And uh, the funny thing about studying the plagues of Egypt is that when you look at the template of the plagues, you will see a pattern emerge from it. And that pattern that emerges is a template you can put on the United States as a society or a culture, or you can put it on the world itself. And what I've entitled the message today is, Heed the Warning. Because what you're going to see with the first few plagues, where the blood, and we've looked at the blood in the Nile, and we, we're going to look at the frogs today, is there are warnings. They, they, they are plagues, but they're not life-threatening. They're there to get people's attention. And I'm going to unpack that a little bit and connect the dots with today because you can see the same pattern that God is using to wake up America. God is wanting to wake up Egypt. He's wanting to wake up the Egyptians to understand what's happening, that he's the one true God, and they're following false gods, just like America and society is today. And because God is full of grace and mercy, the first few plagues will allow room in there for them to repent, for them to get right, for them to come to faith. And just like he's doing today. You know, the funny thing about this warning that's coming to Egypt from God, it's the same warning he's given to us today. But very few people can either see the warning or know it's even happening. They either ignore it and pretend the warning's not happening or they just dismiss it because they don't want to come to faith in God. But God is putting out the warning. And it's like with gravity. Let me give you an illustration about this so you can understand the warning of God. Gravity is not hidden. You and I are fully aware that gravity is in effect right now. And if you try to violate that law of gravity, you will find yourself on the ground, face-planted, and understanding how difficult violating that law is. It's like an elderly couple I knew a while back. They were putting up Christmas lights... And he was 80, and I think she was 79. And I really don't think it's a good idea for someone who's 80 to be on a ladder putting up lights for Christmas on the roof. Anyway, despite the law of gravity, despite the lack of agility and nimbleness to climb a ladder at 80 years old, they were putting up Christmas lights. And they were not thinking about gravity, in fact, ignoring gravity at their age, acting like it didn't exist. And do you know what happened? The 80-year-old man who was on the, on the ladder, on the top rung, putting up Christmas lights, fell. And his wife was at the bottom holding the ladder, and he fell on top of her, and they both experienced the law of gravity. When they were telling us about this, I said, what were you thinking being up on a ladder? Well, I thought, I, I, I thought we could do it. I learned a hard lesson, Pastor. I'm never going to get on a ladder. I'm too old for that. And I said, what do you think was the problem? He goes, well, it was the ladder. It was the ladder. The ladder was the problem. It wasn't stable enough. And, of course, she didn't hold it right. And so the ladder slipped. And I wanted to listen to this couple of 79 and 80 and thinking, you're blaming the ladder, are you? You're not going to say, I shouldn't have been on a ladder trying to defy the laws of gravity. I'm just going to blame the ladder. 
And I thought that was a funny picture of how our society is today. The warning of God is being put out right now. The days are wrapping up. The tribulation's coming. And people are ignoring that warning as if gravity doesn't exist, as if this warning from God doesn't exist. We're going to look at that today. But let me do some background a little bit, some refreshing of the plagues of Egypt so we can understand why God is doing this. So the ten plagues of Egypt have several purposes. They are to assault the gods of Egypt. Now, when I talk about the gods of Egypt, I'm not talking about figments of the imagination that the Egyptians dreamed up. I'm talking about fallen angels called Elohims in the Old Testament. That's the term for spirit creature that inhabits the spiritual world. Now, we call them fallen angels. Well, these fallen angels became gods to these countries. So there were real beings that these people were worshiping. And what God is doing is directing an offensive attack against these other gods to show that Yahweh is the most high. He is the the unique Elohim. And these other things that they're worshiping are simply creations that he created, and they're, we would call them fallen angels. So it's an assault on them and their powers, because they do have power. And it, the plagues are meant to decreate. And as the creator, God, he can create out of nothing, great using substances, but he also can decreate. He can make things unravel. And I think uh, we talked about that early on when we were singing about God sustaining all things because he's the creator. If God doesn't sustain things, our universe, the fabric of our universe will come unraveled. And still even scientists today don't know how things hold together. But we do theologically. It's God holding all things together. But God can decreate anytime he wants to. This is a proof of his power and who he is. The other thing it, it, you're going to see involved in this is the, basically the recreation of a new entity called Israel. Now, Israel exists as a, a people group, but they're going to be formed as a nation at this time. So you want to keep that in mind as you read through this. The big thing that you have to keep in mind in, in what the plagues also are attacking is what's called in the Egyptian ma'at, M-A, then A-T. And it's personified in a female deity of the Egyptians, and uh, she had wings, and she was the sustainer of order. So there she is in the hieroglyphs of the Egyptians, and there's multiple pictures of her with these wings. And she basically had order and balance. And you think, well, we're past that. We're not there anymore. But, folks, the concept of ma'at is still with us today. Now, in the Egyptian world, it was the pharaoh who kept ma'at, who kept order of things, the seasons, the times, the heat, the coolness, the weather, everything associated to balancing of the order of things came from the pharaoh who balanced this all. Today, it's not pharaoh. Today, the new agers who have taken over our societies and cultures and the UN are pushing the same issue and saying, instead of Pharaoh being responsible for Ma'at, it's all of society is responsible for Ma'at, for order and balance. What do you mean? Have you heard the term, we got to have balance? That term is a Hindu term. It's a far Eastern pagan term of balance, like the yin and the yang and things of that nature. 
That's ma'at. And so when you hear people today talk about, well, we got to have balance in our, our, our earth, and, and we gotta, we got to have harmony, and that, that's all the language of ma'at. And now they put it on the culture. So nothing really went away. And let me give you an example of how our culture is practicing ma'at. Because really, God controls the order and sustainer of things, not us. So for instance, they want to decrease the population, okay, to have order and balance on Mother Earth, okay? And you know these eugenists, like Bill Gates and these others, want to reduce the populations, right? And Bill Gates has reduced several populations of Africa and India because of his vaccinations. But that's behind ma'at, is, well, in their concept, we'll have a balance by reducing people. How do they do that? Abortion and killing them. The new thing they're going to try out on all of us is vaccinations. Now, they're not going to tell you this, but if you've ever studied some of these vaccinations that they're producing, eventually it will decrease the population. What do you mean? Well, I listened to an interview by Brandon House with Dr. Carrie Made, if I'm pronouncing that right. She's an internal medicine physician. She's, she's not affiliated with any uh, hospitals or organizations that she can lose her money or whatnot. So she just comes out there and just says like it is. And what she was saying is that these new vaccines that are going to be pushing on people, they're artificially developed and they have uh, been formed artificially, the RNA and the DNA inside of them. And so basically to understand what this does, they've done this to plants. That's why people try to avoid GMOs, genetically modified, you know, and so they've done this to plants, and they've genetically modified plants by doing this thing with the RNA and the DNA. Well, now they're thinking in these vaccinations, they're going to do that in the vaccinations, which if it does it to plants, how do they know it's not going to do it to humans? It genetically modifies the plant. Is it going to genetically modify humans? Is it going to give them cancer? Is it going to give them tumors? They don't know. They've never tested it. But that's what their idea is. And it's like, wait a second, we're not some guinea pig in a lab that you can experiment on. Well, we've got to have COVID-19 vaccinations. You know, when they genetically modify plants, we already know what it does to the plant. The plant's weakened compared to a wild plant. It already messes up the plant in several areas. They don't know how it's going to mess us up. Interesting enough that the thing about restructuring DNA is it could shorten your life, it could give you a disease, and reduce the human population, exactly what they want to do. Now, I'm not being conspiratorial. This is out there for anyone to hear and see. You can research this on your own. But this is the idea of the depopulation of the planet. Let me give you another example of this balancing of the universe, according to them. Saving Mother Earth. They deify Mother Earth and say, we've got to bring harmony to Mother Earth, so we're going to cut our carbon emissions from our cars so we can save the planet. It's insane. That's ma'at. That's the Egyptian concept. It's a pagan concept. Or how about this? Even in the way people think, group think, consensus building, we don't care about facts and evidence. We just care if everybody's on board. That's the consensus. So now group think rules the day instead of facts and evidence. You've seen that in some of these riots. You've seen some of that in these Black Lives Matter things. They're not going by facts and evidence. 
It's all collective. It's all globalism. It's all to bring harmony and balance. No borders for nations because we need to have harmony among the, the nations so we don't need individual nation states. No borders. Collective salvation. We're saved because we're do-gooders if we can change the society from being racist or have economic disparity and we're going to make everyone equal economically. That right there, folks, is ma'at. It is trying to create order and balance by humans when it is God who has the order and balance in the palm of his hand. That's what's happening right now. And by the way, just to cap it off, do you know what they say about us? That you and I are standing in the way of ma'at, or balance. You and I are preventing Mother Earth and the collective human population from reaching their spiritual evolution of the next level that humans are going to go to spiritually. It's because of you and I. So they do say this. One day, the ships will come and beam all the bad people that are causing the lack of disorder and harmony off the planet. So don't be alarmed when millions of people go missing because the spaceships have beamed them up and they have taken the bad people that have prevented us establishing harmony and balance with the world away. That's coming, they say. Do you see what they're doing? And this is from them channeling demons, by the way, who really are their spiritual guides or whatnot, given an excuse for when the Lord takes us home in the rapture, they're going to say, the bad people were taken away so we can achieve ma'at, or harmony. They're already set up for it. Isn't that funny? Now, I go through all that so you understand the background of what God's going to do. In his decreation, he's attacking that concept. He's going to say, you don't control anything. You don't control the weather. You don't control, uh, you know, if the planet lives or dies. What are you thinking? I do. And he's going to show that through the plagues. And just like he's going to show the world one day through the tribulation. So with that background, let's jump in verse 25. It's the last verse of chapter 7. And then we'll move to chapter 8. And it says this. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the river. Now, we're not going to go through that, but we're, it's referring to the, the Nile turning into blood. We did that several weeks ago. and We explained that. But just as a heads up, the Nile turned to blood. Uh, it was a decreation from water to blood. It's retribution for the lives the Egyptians took of the, the Hebrew babies. That's why it, blood is associated to it. It's attack on that particular fallen angel or, or demon called Hopi. Hopi was the god of the Nile, and it, the Nile provided life, and God is trying to show the Egyptians, no, Hopi is not the source of life. I am the source of life. And so it's an attack on that. So we talked about that last time. So now we're going to move into the second plague, which is the plague of frogs. So look in verse 1, and it says this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Now, I have to unpack that a little bit. It's important to understand the background on these phrases. Because I think Moses is assuming what he's implying here with the background of Genesis chapter 11. So let me explain this. 
The idea of let Israel go so they can serve me or worship me has to do going back to the Tower of Babel. So let me explain that. As you remember, the Tower of Babel started all man-made religions under Nimrod. Nimrod was considered a god. He was a Nephilim, but they worshipped him as a god. And they worshipped the pantheon of other gods, which are nothing but fallen angels or demons. Okay, And they called these things other gods. Now, the biblical term that they use is Elohim. It's a general term for spirit creature that inhabits the spiritual world. God is also referred to as Elohim, but he's referred to as the Most High Elohim, El Elyon. And so these other creatures that God created that we call angels or fallen angels are called Elohims as well because they're spirit creatures. Okay. At the Tower of Babel, the the people, the humanity as a whole, started worshiping the fallen angels and demons, okay, as gods. So what God did, as you remember, he divided them by the language, and then he spread them out, and he created, at that point, 70 nations. According to Deuteronomy 32, God spread them out according to the sons of God. Now, in your version, it'll say, according to Israel, or according to the sons of Israel. Israel didn't exist in, in Genesis 11. That's a mistranslation. The Dead Sea Scrolls and the Septuagint, I think, that are, are accurate, more accurate, is, is it says the Banaha Elohim, the sons of God. The sons of God is always a reference to, fa- to these spirit creatures called Elohims, in this case, fallen angels. And what happened at the Tower of Babel is that God gave the nations over to these fallen creatures to rule them. Basically, it's a Romans 1. If you want to worship them, fine. Then you go do it and worship that fallen angel over there in a new country. So he spread out the nations, and all these nations, the 70 nations, were worshiping an individual or multiplicity of fallen angels or demons. So, with giving humanity over at the the Tower of Babel, God's plan then went to effect to reclaim them. So he gives them over, but then he goes back to reclaim them. And his plan started with one man, Abraham, remember? So he's going to create a new nation out of all the other nations that have been given over to the demons and fallen angels to create a new nation we know as Israel, who Israel will take and serve Yahweh to reclaim and and present the news of Yahweh to the Goyim. And to bring them back home to faith under Yahweh. So Israel's purpose of him starting Israel and then starting them as a nation here in the text is so that Israel can serve Yahweh to reclaim the Goyim. A light to the Gentiles, as Isaiah says. Now, as you know in history, Israel will fail at that. And then Messiah has to take it. He comes and reestablishes it. Israel's put on the side as a temporary punishment for rejection of the Messiah, and he starts the church. Guess what you and I are doing? The same task that Israel was supposed to do, the Great Commission. What are we doing? We're going out and bringing the Goyim back to the Lord, back into his family, according to their free will, obviously, but that's our job. Now, the funny thing about this is 
the rapture of the church is associated to the last goyim that will be saved during the church age. According to the Apostle Paul, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, then we're raptured, and then he starts the program with Israel again, and Israel will be that light to the goyim again. So when it says, let my people go so that they may serve me, the way you're supposed to interpret that is, serve him doing what? Recapturing the nations. Pharaoh and Egypt are preventing Israel from doing the Great Commission of going out among the nations. That's how you interpret that passage. I know it's a bigger story, but I think it's important for you to understand that background. Let's continue on. Verse 2, now we get into the weeds on the plague. He says, But if you refuse to let him go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into your houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come upon you, on your people, and all your servants. Now, let's talk about the frogs. Why a plague of frogs? And it's going to be everywhere, by the way, everywhere. It's not just like the the Nile was located in the Nile, that plague, but this one's going all through Egypt, okay, in every part of their home. There's a theological understanding about this. God is attacking a certain god of the Egyptians. Frogs to the Egyptians symbolize divine power. They symbolize fertility in specifics, and it symbolized resurrection as well. Now, their symbol of the frogs is going to become a plague. It's going to become a curse to them. Now, this symbol of divine power and fertility was seen in this particular fallen angel called Heket. What Heket is is a female deity, female Elohim, with a frog head. And so she was responsible, and follow this Egyptian religion, okay? She was responsible for blowing the breath of life into people. And her counterpart, another Egyptian god called Kunum, he formed humans on his potter's wheel with the clay, and he would form them through the clay, and then she would blow the the breath of life into them. Now, isn't that funny? You should recall something. That is a corruption of Genesis, isn't it? Where God formed man out of the dirt, out of the clay, and then God's the one who breathed the breath of life. You see how the corruption is happening with the fallen angels, what they're doing? They're corrupting the story, saying, we did this. We created man. The parallels are uncanny. When people follow false gods, these false gods will always usurp the creator and say, they created us. Even the wackadoo New Agers say that aliens created us. Even the evolutionists say that aliens created us. They will not admit a creator. Even Richard Dawkins, a staunch atheist, believes in intelligent life. But you know what he says, who that intelligent life is? Aliens. Isn't it funny? Every false religion will usurp the creation of man by God. And you see it here too. So this is what the Egyptians are doing. But let me tell you the other side of this. Frogs are associated to demons. Not that the frog you see in your, 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 uh, your, your backyard or anything is a demon or anything. I'm not saying that. I said, but what I mean is they become a symbol in the occult for demonic power. Okay? It's a, a well-known symbol in paganism, in 
Satanism and witchcraft and things of that nature. Interesting enough, the book of Revelation refers to demons as frogs, some of them being looked at as frogs. And if you read Revelation 16, I don't have it on the screen for you, but it says this, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So the satanic trinity sends out some high-ranking demons that appear to be like frogs. And what do they do? For they, these, uh, for they are spirits of demons, it says, performing signs which go to the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather them to the battle of the great day of God Almighty. And they gathered them together in the place in Hebrew called Harmageddon or Armageddon. So we know that is a future reference, but what's my point? There are demons, apparently, that look like frogs. So when the Egyptians are worshiping Heket, we know it's a real demon behind that. We know it's a fall, either a fallen angel or, or something of that nature. So this is not like some imagination that these Egyptians dreamed up. These are real spirit creatures. So it's an attack on that. Okay. So what's the effects of the Egyptians that happened to them? And then what I want to do is I want to parallel this to what's happening in America and what's happening in society right now. This is where I'm going to make the bridge to it. In the first plague, the plague of blood, it was a great inconvenience to have the Nile turn to blood. Okay? Because all their water came from that. And so what the Egyptians had to do is dig water wells outside of that area to get water. And they did. The scriptures say they did that. And so it's a great inconvenience. They're going to have to work harder to get their water. Okay? So they just can't just go to the Nile and pick it up. They've got to work harder and dig wells. Okay. It also required the Egyptians to find other sources of food because the Nile provided fish. And they got a lot of their meat from the Nile. Yeah, they had livestock, but what do you do with livestock if you can't have them to drink? They're going to die. So their food source became difficult, scarce. They were still able to survive, but water and food became scarce. And it was spatially limited to the Nile. Now here's the bridge. This is the first time that God's trying to wake up the Egyptians as a whole, as a society. I'm going to make your life more difficult. I'm going to make it more difficult in these areas. I'm going to make it difficult for you to find food. It's not life-threatening, but I'm just going to make your life a little bit harder. Parallel. Bridge. What did we just go through and are going through right now? Our lives have been made difficult. More difficult than before, hasn't it? Since the stupid Wuhan China virus caused an, a shutdown of our economy. It was difficult to find meat, wasn't it? Some of the stores had no meat or you could only have two packages or something like that. I don't know if they even have that anymore. The conveniences of finding toilet paper were gone. Couldn't find it. I didn't know what I was going to use if I ran out. Hand sanitizer, all bacterial wipes, all these things that we just took for granted that was easy to go, go to the store, get it, didn't think twice about it. Didn't even think about stocking myself with anything because why would I need to stock toilet paper? Why would I need to think like that? But God just rocked the whole world and rocked America and said, I'm going to fire a warning shot across the bow. I'm going to make your life a little bit harder for everybody. For everybody. Everybody's in on in this. 
Even in that, this story right here, you'll see a differentiation between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. But at this point, the plagues are affecting everybody. Everybody. Okay? They're Egyptian-wide. And now global-wide, God is trying to get people's attention. Why? Because something much worse is going to happen. And in Egypt, something much worse will happen if you continue to ignore the warning signs. If you don't heed them. Death will come. And God doesn't want that. I'm not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, God says. So he's giving grace and mercy, and he's doing it by limiting the plague to just make their lives a little bit more difficult. Let me ask you this question. You think the Egyptians got it the first plague and say, boy, life's hard. I better turn to Yahweh. He turned the water into blood. He made my life a little bit more difficult. I think he's the God of the universe. I better come to faith in him. You think most people today are thinking that through this coronavirus? Oh, boy, I, I've never seen anything like this. It really rocked my world. I, I better get right with God. No. It's not happening, is it? Some people are waking up, onesies and twosies, but not the, most of the society. Most of the society is going right lockstep in what the government is telling them to do. They're not seeing the warning. Just like I told you, the 80-year-old guy getting on a ladder doesn't, or he's ignoring the law of gravity, and now our society is ignoring the warnings of God. Now let's move to the frogs. When you go to the frogs, the plague expands. It's still not life-threatening, but the plague expands past the Nile to everybody in all of Egypt. Okay? But I want you to notice this. The miracle there is a multiplication of frogs, not a displacement of them. So don't take the naturalistic explanation that, well, the Nile turned to blood, so the frogs left the Nile and they infiltrated the houses. That's not what happened. It's a multiplication of frogs. God is showing Heket and the Egyptians, I'm the one that controls reproduction. I'm the one that controls fertility. I am the one who creates man or beasts or animals or whatever. And so he actually reproduces frogs miraculously. And the other thing about this, it's an infestation of their home. Okay, Before it's out there in the Nile. They could come and come to their home and be okay. But now it's in their home. It's right among everybody. Royal officials, Pharaoh, everybody. So it's expanded. If you ever had an infestation, you know how gross that is. I remember going back one time uh, to New York and, and going back to the apartment that we stayed in in college. And I don't know what happened during the summer, man, but someone let the door open because thousands of roaches came in. So I get there and unpack my bags and there's roaches everywhere, man. They're just running crazy, man. And, and they're waving at me. They don't even care. And, and if you've ever seen a New York roach, they're about this big, man. They're massive. It's like prehistoric type times. And I'm like, this is gross. I, I, I'm going to have to live here. I, I don't know how, what I'm going to do. It was just everywhere. And so obviously we got it sprayed and we got the guy to come in. But in New York, you never get rid of roaches. They're everywhere in the city. Just like the rats are. It's gross. I bring that to your attention because the grossness of that, I, I think, doesn't even come close to the grossness of what was happening in their homes. The frogs were everywhere in their ovens, in their microwave, so to speak, everywhere on their floor, in their bed, everywhere. 
which meant that in the Egyptian home and in the Hebrew home, no one wore their shoes in the house. They all took their shoes off and they walked barefoot in their house. Any move you made inevitably crushed a frog under your feet and you were barefoot. So I want you to think about that. So as you're walking barefoot in your house, the ooze of the crushed frog is coming through your toes onto the top of your foot, and you, there's nowhere else to step other than other frogs. And you're crushing them under your feet, and that grossness, that infestation, it's not killing you, but it's grossing you out. But theologically, every time you step on a frog, you're in violation of Egyptian law. Because you know why? They held the frog sacred, and if you killed a frog, it was a violation of Egyptian law, and you could die. You can't kill the animal. And so every time they walked, they killed the animal in violation of the law, and they were stepping on Heket. They stepped on that god and crushed him under their feet, theologically. Heket can't even prevent his worshipers from crushing him if that makes sense. And so it's not life-threatening, but it's gross. It it makes you want to puke thinking about it. Now, if we follow the pattern, I'm going to make your life difficult, and then I'm going to ramp it up to make your life gross, repugnant, a stench. The thing that comes to my mind right now about this, what's coming, and I hope the Lord intervenes uh, at something, but I keep thinking about these vaccinations, and it's heavily on my mind because that's the big push right now. Do you know what's inside the vaccinations? I know the recombinations of the RNA and DNA is in there. But do you know what they're using for the vaccination? Aborted baby tissue. Now, I want you to think about this. Again, I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just saying they've toyed with the idea, and you can read up on this all you want. Just do a search, and you can read all the articles you want on this. America allowed abortion in 1973 and legalized it. Since then, I think there's close to 60 million babies that have been killed in the womb. I find it theologically ironic that if they force vaccinations on America, that the vaccinations will have aborted babies in it. The very country that legalized abortion will be now given the aborted babies into their system. Guys, if that doesn't gross you out in the sense that that should make, you should be appalled by that. You should say that is the most disgusting thing. And you know about Planned Parenthood selling baby parts and that is the most disgusting thing. But what's coming our way, if nothing stops it, is you will be forced to take a vaccination with aborted baby tissue in it. And God is serving it right back to America. I love America. But spiritually, you and I both all agree that America has gotten away from God. They're far away from him. And so God says, fine, this is what you want to do. I will serve it to you, back to you, on a platter. I will inject it in you. And then, sky's the limit on what damage that will do to you and I from a genetic standpoint. Who knows what will happen? Maybe it will kill people just kind of like what they want. Scary, isn't it? I'm going to tell you what. The wheels of God's judgment are very slow, but they do grind fine. 
very fine. They reduce people to powder. And I think God's trying to get America's attention and all of society's attention. Let's move back to the text. Verse uh, 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds. Cause the frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. So now it goes into effect. Again, this is not a natural phenomenon. God did this supernaturally. Verse 7. And the magicians, these are called the Hartumim. They are the lecture priests. And these lecture priests are involved in the occult. They're, they're, they're necromancy. They're involved in channeling demons and fallen angels, okay? So big-time evil. And so with their enchantments, and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. Now, a lot of people would try to figure out, oh, how did, how did they do this? You know, well, I, there's no doubt fallen angels and demons have power. There's no doubt about that, a lot of power. But the, the term in Hebrew is, is Allah, uh, A-L-A-H, and it means to bring up, to brought up. So the idea may be is that they didn't create new frogs. They only drew them up to show Pharaoh that they too can draw frogs up out of, out of the Nile. Okay, that being the case, what you're looking at then is a, a, what's called animal possession. If that's what's going on here, and they're bringing frogs up, it's because of animal possession. Can animal possession happen? Of course it can. When the demoniac at Gadarene, the legion in the Gadarene, when Jesus was talking to those demons, what did they want to go? They wanted to go into a habitable place, and so he sent them into the pigs. They demon-possessed the pigs, and then Jesus sent the pigs over the cliff. But the idea is they want to inhabit a body, and they would choose an animal, too, not to be disembodied. So the concept of demon-possessed people and demon-possessed animals is a biblical concept. And I don't know about you, man. I, there's been times where I just kind of scratch my head. I, I, I used to go do visitation to people's homes and visit them. And, and inevitably, when I would share the gospel with them, something would go wrong with the cat. Something would go wrong with the dog. All of a sudden, the dog's doing spinning, chasing its tail. The cat won't stop meowing. The cat's jumping on everybody. The dog's going nuts. And it was always at the time when I was sharing the gospel. And the people would say, he never acts like that. I don't know what's gotten into him. I said, I do. I know what's gotten into him. Someone's lit a fire under that dog. Because the dog would act in such a way to distract the people from listening to me. Every time. Or the phone would ring or something like that. But something inevitably happened, especially with their animals. i got a funny story to tell you. This is hilarious. Talking about demon-possessed dogs and stuff. We sent a team out to somebody's house. They went there, knocked on the door, and the, the, the folks opened the door up. And these are people who visited the church and stuff. So they go in there, hey, thanks for visiting, and it's great having you. And, and uh, their dog is just going crazy. He's just running around the living room, jumping on couches and stuff. And the owners are just sitting there like, like nothing, you know. And the, the, the visitation team that was in there was like, wow, they don't have any control over their animals. This is crazy. I can't even talk. This dog's running all over the house. And uh, anyway, they, they tried to talk as best as they could and, and share the gospel. Really nothing got through because the dog's going crazy. So anyway, 
They get up to leave, and they're getting ready to go out the door. Well, hey, thanks for visiting with us. We hope you see you at church next Sunday, yada, yada, yada. And they left. And the owner of the house says, hey, are you going to take your dog with you? And they're like, that's not our dog. We thought that's your dog. Well, that's not our dog. So what happened is when they opened the door, a stray dog ran into the house. And that stray dog was going nuts. And it wasn't the owners. The owners thought the visitation team brought the dog. And the visitation team thought it was the owner's dog. It was just a stray dog. Now, I don't know if that dog was possessed. But somehow he went in there and he disrupted the whole thing. I think it was very comical because we didn't, they, they were, they're coming back, they were fat, flabbergasted that a dog got in somebody's house. I don't know how that happens. Anyway, long story short, yes, animals can be possessed. It's very true. Verse 8, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people. And you think, wow, has he had a novena? Has he come to faith in Jesus? What's going on here? No, no, this is not repentance. This is Pharaoh acknowledging, yes, that Yahweh is another God, not the, the God, but another God that has some type of power over their gods, but he just wants relief. He's not, he's not wanting repentance. He's wanting relief. So this is what he's asking Moses for. Now, the funny thing about this is Pharaoh's attitude is a lot like many people in America and around the world that go to church. Let me explain this. Many people attend churches that are actually not giving the true gospel, but giving what's called moralistic, therapeutic deism. Moralistic, therapeutic deism. Yes, they believe there's a God, and oh, there's Jesus, but, and, and really what he wants us all to be is just nice people to everybody, and the therapy involved in this is that God wants us to be happy and to feel good about ourselves. That's the therapy. And the deism part is that, well, I only call on God when I need something or I need to be rescued out of the mess that's happened in my life, but no other times do I call upon God. That version of Christianity is in most churches, by the way. The biggest church in America, Joel Osteen, is a moralistic, therapeutic deism. And there's a lot of churches that follow suit. Have your best life now. You're great. You're awesome. You're a wonder kind. God's lucky to have you on his team. That kind of mentality, right? That is what's being perpetrated. And people will only call on God if they want to be rescued from their mess. But they don't have a relationship. That's it's, it's a picture of Pharaohism all through the churches a lot of times. Anyway, back to the text. And I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And it is, isn't it funny? He won't let them go fully. He just says, you can go make a sacrifice, but you're all coming back. You know why? Because slave labor. He's not paying for anything. He's got slave labor. So he's making a grip of money. The, the Hebrews are making a lot of money for Egypt. By the way, same thing's going on today in our economics. I thought it was ironic that Colin Kaepernick wants to be this civil rights leader, Black Lives Matter, yada, yada, yada. He comes out and, you know, he's, he's all for civil rights or whatever. And I want to say, you're an idiot. You're a hypocrite and an idiot because you take millions of dollars from Nike. And Nike, we all know, 
has slave labor in China. That's how they make their millions of dollars, off the back of Chinese workers who are nothing but slaves to Nike and Adidas. So the NBA, with their Black Lives Matters on the court and the players putting these social justice warrior patches on their back, I want to say you're all a bunch of hypocrites because you take money from Adidas, you take money from Nike and the NBA, they all have slave labor in China. You hypocrites. But that's how the world is. They're nothing but hypocrites. They're not going to get rid of that. You think, you think the NBA is going to go against China? No, they support China because they're getting their pockets filled. So anyway, slave labor is back then. It's still with us today. Nothing's changed. Verse 9, And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So Moses is saying, here's the deal, dude. Name the day, name the time, we'll cut the frogs off. Just name it. That is an apologetic message that everyone should get. This is not some naturalistic explanation. God says, I'll cut it off. Just tell me. I can do this because I'm the God of the universe. And so he extends that to Pharaoh. So what does Pharaoh say? Verse 10. So he said, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. This is, again, only the hand of God could do this. It shows the uniqueness of God's creative ability. Verse 11. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. So now God puts a limit on them. Verse 12. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the idea of seeing Moses as an intercessor. Moses is a typology for Jesus as an intercessor, a mediator between God and man. And that's what Moses is playing this role as. So you should see Jesus all in this. Verse 13. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. They gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. And guess what it it stank of? Death. He wanted to remind them that you're worshiping demons and fallen angels that will only give you death I'm the one God that can give you life. So the idea of a stench is to remind the Egyptians, hey, get a clue. You're worshiping death. And then it says, verse 15, here's the question. You think Pharaoh changed his mind and said, golly, wow, this is amazing. I need to repent? No. But when Pharaoh saw that there was, uh, that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. Isn't that funny? The same thing when you see American tragedies like 911, you remember that? Everyone went to church weeks after 911, but then after a month, everyone left and the numbers went back to normal. It's only the time when people need relief that they seek the Lord. Well, that's deism, man. That's not true Christianity. We seek the Lord every day. But anyway, you can see this in the heart of Pharaoh. He doesn't run a relationship with God, even though God is extending that. Could Pharaoh have been saved? Yes. Could the, most of the Egyptians have been saved? Of course. He's offering that to them. By the way, how does this matter? Well, part of this application is I, I want you to be able to see it. I want you to see the parallels at that God is warning society right now. He is sending out a warning, and people are still not waking up. Well, guess what? What happens when you don't wake up from the first two plagues? I'm going to send plague three, plague four, plague five, and we're just going to go down the line. We're going to keep this game going until somebody wakes up. And as you see with our society, God is sending birth pains 
to warn people of the end is coming with the tribulation period. And he's trying to wake people up, to get them saved, to, to come to faith, come back to the family. Now, specifically, God is showing the Egyptians, I am the designer of life. I am the one who creates life. I am the one who opens and closes wombs. I am the one responsible for fertility and reproduction and resurrection, by the way. Okay? We all get that. But what is our society trying to do now with humans? They are tampering with human DNA. It reminds me of what was going on in Genesis 6 when the fallen angels were messing with human DNA and creating hybrids. Today, you can create a designer baby. Did you know that? If you want that designer baby to be an NFL star, then we're going to make him 6'4", uh, 220, uh, run a 4'2", and a 40. We can do a designer baby. That's pretty scary. When do you think God's going to put the stop and the brakes on that one? Or how about this? They're growing ears on mice. Have you seen this picture? And other body parts as well on, on, on animals. This is not made up. That's real. There's a human ear growing on the back of a mouse. That should freak you and I out. And they're doing more. They say you can replace your parts. We can, we can clone your DNA. We can grow your parts in a Petri dish and then give you those parts when you need them. Your heart works out. Here's your heart. We grew it in a Petri dish or we grew it in some type of pig or something like that. But you know the funny thing about it is they're combining human DNA with animal DNA. And what do you get out of that? A chimera? What is that? Is that a hybrid? Man is starting to play God. Just like the Egyptians were starting to follow and worship Heket for creating life, man is thinking they're the creator of life and they can mess with God's DNA. I can tell you how that goes. He's going to end that pretty quick. You think for a moment God's going to let people start messing with human DNA and create hybrids? It ain't happening. I already know what happened. He sent a flood for that. This time it will be the fire of the tribulation to end that. Another application, real quick. Notice the progressive warnings. Let me, let me show you the progressive warnings of all the ten plagues. Follow this. Number one, the first few plagues will affect the comfort of the people. Their lives are disrupted. It's harder to live, right? Two, later on in the other plagues, the plagues will start affecting their possessions, their money, the things they own. What are they talking about, our economy? What has happened to our economy? They're talking about a digital currency now? Three, it will move to desolations. What does desolations mean in the Bible? It brings bring to an end. Will ruin something, don't exist anymore, abandon, misery, loneliness, sorrow, and grief. The things we held dear in America, what we valued, are going to be gone if someone doesn't do something. The constitution that they hate will be gone. Churches preaching the word will be gone. They'll be underground. You will not find good churches anymore. America is being sent a famine of the word of God right as we speak. Very few churches will even preach the scriptures anymore. Desolations doesn't exist anymore. Do you think we're returning to life back to normal ever? No. What you had before all of this is now gone. It's over. 
I'm not saying your life is over, but the way you did life is over. And what happens if they digitalize the currency? That's not going to affect your possessions. What if they cause a new standard to happen with a new value system? All the money you put away, all the money you save, the exact amount, they don't have the value that they will if you go to a digital currency. You think you had $1,000? That $1,000 will now be worth $100. Because they'll have to devalue it at some point. You have hyperinflation. Wait, wait, there's a pattern. Don't miss it. What's the pattern? God is warning people. I'm going to make your life disrupted, and then I'm going to affect your bank account. Then desolations will come in. The things you wanted that you are not going to have anymore. And fourth, the last one is death. In the tribulation, most of humanity will die in the tribulation. But why... That's, that's a negative thing, but there's a positive in this. What is the positive? God has given his grace and mercy through warning. It's coming. Get on the rescue boat as soon as possible. The Titanic has been struck. It's sinking. Quit rearranging chairs on the Titanic. Quit shining brass on the Titanic. It's going down. Get on the rescue boat of Jesus now. That's what God is trying to say so it's not a negative thing. It's a warning that God's giving out. And bless you for heeding the warning. You already know. But what is our job? The same thing that, that he told about Israel. Egypt, let Israel go so they can serve me and reclaim the goyim. What are we supposed to be doing? Same thing. Reclaim the goyim, Jew and Gentile. Bring them back to my family before it's too late. Bring them back. That's our job, and that's what we will do as we watch this pattern play itself out even today. Let's pray. Thanks for downloading the Anchor Podcast. We hope this study was a blessing to you. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Rock Harbor Church Prophecy Update, where we focus on signs of the times and present a wide range of sermons and discipleship lessons. So until next time, keep looking up, for our redemption draws near.